Our reading for this evening is taken from Philippians again. Uh, we had a, a look at the beginning of Philippians last week. We're going to look again at Philippians 2, reading from verse 12. So Philippians 2, 12 to 18. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, but uh, um, hopefully it'll not be too different from any other versions anybody may have in front of them. So Philippians 2 from verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Can we pray? Lord God, speak to us through your word this evening. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you. Change us this evening, God. Speak to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit. And may we go out different than we came in. To the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, So we continue this evening looking at Philippians 2. Uh, Last week we looked at the first part of this chapter and we looked at how we all have a common faith grounded in the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit, and that this common grounding should lead us to unity. We looked at how that unity should present itself by laying aside selfish ambition and imitating the servanthood of Jesus Christ. And our passage for this evening follows directly from last week's. And Paul is keen that we see the connection by beginning with the word, therefore. Paul grounds this evening's passage on on that hymn of Christ, verses 5 to 11. That testimony of obedience, of servanthood, of sacrifice. Because of this obedience, the sacrificial example of Christ, the Philippians should press on to continue to work out their salvation. There's quite a lot within this passage, and there's some really key theology for us to get a grasp on. So in particular, we're going to drill into these first couple of verses. And I think the key message of Paul to the Philippians, and for us this evening, is that we should not just live on past glories or past obedience, but should continually press on to obey God, to grow in our faith, by daily placing our lives as an offering before God. And this is the call to all of us to discipleship. Discipleship is not an optional extra on our faith. It's not for the super spiritual, but it is a call to everyone who has received the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus in the Great Commission, as we all know in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The word observe here is nothing really to do with seeing or watching. The Greek word is actually to keep. 
If we ask someone to observe best practice in work, for example, or in an organization we ask somebody to observe the rules, what we mean is keep them, practice them, live by them. And the NIV translation here says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Observe in this context means not to see or watch. It means to obey. You see, the basis of the Great Commission is that we first become a disciple and then teach others to be disciples, as our own vision statement is, disciples making disciples. I suppose to define a term, what do we mean by disciple? Well, I'm going to go with a fairly simple definition. A disciple can be thought of as someone who is learning to live life as Jesus would in their context and circumstances. And then we make and shape other disciples. I think more recently the church has unfortunately substituted making converts for making disciples. We have frequently emphasized converting people to a particular set of beliefs in order to get them into heaven rather than drawing people into a whole life transforming, reshaping relationship of discipleship in Jesus Christ. In the Northern Ireland evangelical tradition, we spend so much time on original sin and salvation that we fail to take a step back and see the bigger picture. That before there was original sin, there was original design. How God created Adam and Eve to live in perfect, unobstructed communion with him, where he walked daily in the garden where they lived. And that after the moment of conversion, of profession, of faith, there is a life of discipleship and obedience to be lived. So often there is not a clear difference between how Christians live and how those who aren't Christians live. Jesus' teaching does not allow us to separate what we believe from how we live. Indeed, how we live demonstrates what we truly believe. But if we are honest, I think, in our sinful nature, we are anything but consistent in our commitment to follow Christ, to be a disciple. We may take spurts in our faith. We may have moments where we have followed and obeyed, but then we can fall back into a comfortable, unexcited, complacent faith. We may find ourselves living on past glories, past experiences of our faith, past moments where we felt close to God, when we serve, when we followed, and so we spend our time looking backwards, trying to recapture these moments rather than looking forward and moving forward. We may see discipleship as something for the super spiritual, the ones who go on courses, attend seminars, rise early to pray, read big chunks of the Bible, read the theologians. But Paul tells us through these verses in Philippians that discipleship is for all. Therefore, he begins in verse 12. Because of Christ's sacrifice for us, we should work out our salvation. If we have a true understanding of what Christ did for us on the cross, we cannot do anything but press forward. If we understand both the fact that he took our punishment, but also imparts to us a perfect righteousness, our very spirits cry out to follow Christ more fully, more committedly, more fervently. So we're going to look at Paul's call to discipleship in three points this evening. First, that we should keep on keeping on. That we should not keep looking back to past obedience and trade on past glories and our faith, but that we should continue to move forward to work out our salvation. 
Secondly, that as children of God, we should do all things with neither grumbling or questioning, as we are shining lights to a crooked and twisted generation. And thirdly, that to do this, we must continue to offer our lives daily as a sacrifice and offering to God's work. So let's begin with the first of these, to keep on keeping on. Paul begins by referring to how the Philippians have previously led a life of obedience. In verse 12, he says, as you have always obeyed. But it's notable that he doesn't commend this. He doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't outline any of their previous work of obedience, the outworking, the results. There's no pat on the back for here for the Philippians. Rather, he seems to be saying, this pattern should be the norm. This is the foundation and basic common denominator of your faith. It is all about obedience. The Philippians have obeyed in the past. They should continue to do so as they work out their salvation with fear and trembling. They can't be content with past glories, but need to demonstrate their faith day by day as they nurture their relationship with God. Paul goes on to explain that working out our salvation is a joint participation between ourselves and God. That through obedience we are to work out our salvation, but also that it is God who wills and works in us. There is a duality to our own personal relationship, our own personal responsibility, and God's work in our faith. His is the basic activity. Ours responds to what he is doing. His is the inner work of transformation and renewal. Our obedience to him is how we enter into the benefit of his indwelling. When Paul says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he's emphasizing the first of the two sides of this duality, our own participation. This isn't salvation by works, but salvation in terms of progressively coming to experience all the aspects and blessings of salvation. The Philippians' continued obedience is an inherent part of working out their salvation in this sense. And so it is for us. Our continued obedience daily in whatever our life is involved is the key. Past glories or indeed past failures are nothing compared to present obedience in the here and now. That is all that God asks of us. But we should also not take this responsibility lightly. Paul says that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. A few years ago, John Krakor came out with a book recounting the disastrous climb up Mount Everest, where six people died in a sudden storm. Krakor was uh, an experienced mountain climber and one of the surviving members of that trip. His writing expresses a respect and reverence for the mountain. And he attributes the tragedy of the trip to humans refusing to play by the rules the mountain demanded. This doesn't take away from the beauty or the mystery or the challenge of Everest. Everest is beautiful, but it is not safe. And if that is the case with Everest, believe me when I say it's even more the case with God. He is good and beautiful, but he is not safe. How often do we wrap God in our images of Abba Father, loving God, of peace, Jesus as our friend, but by laboring just this one aspect of God's character, 
we contract our understanding. We contract God. We limit our understanding of his whole person, his effectiveness, his possibility, his capability. We put God in that loving Heavenly Father box. It's important that we remind ourselves of the full, true nature of God in all his love as our Heavenly Father, but also in all his holiness, his grandeur, his majesty, his immeasurable power, his strength. Isaac Wimberley is a musician, writer, and spoken word artist who wrote a piece called The Word. I'll not do it justice the way that he does, but I'll try and give you a flavor of some of it. This is what he writes. If there are words for him, I don't have them. You see, my brain has not yet reached the point where it could form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. And my lungs have not yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of his love. And my voice, you see, my voice is so inhibited, restrained by human limits, that it's hard to even sing the praise of, you see, if there are words for him, then I don't have them. My God, his grace is remarkable. Mercies are innumerable. Strength is impenetrable. He is honorable, accountable, favorable. He is unsearchable yet knowable, indefinable yet approachable, indescribable yet personal. He is beyond comprehension, further than imagination, constant through generations, king of every nation. We need to re-image and re-understand what God is. Beautiful, compassionate, relentlessly loving, endlessly good, absolutely but mysterious, completely beyond our comprehension and description, and very much not safe or tame or magnolia or whatever your image might be. Paul's intent is to convey the idea that we're not playing a game here. We cannot treat obedience lightly or with a cavalier spirit. We should approach God with awe and reverence. However, While it is sobering and serious, this fear and trembling, Paul does not want the Philippians to be anxious that they can never be good enough to merit God's favor. And I don't believe God wants that of us today. Rather, it is God's love and enabling grace that will see us through. It is God who works in us. We can rejoice in God's empowering presence even as we work hard at living responsible Christian lives. But these works are the result of God's work within his people. In verse 13 we read, For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even the desire, the will to do what is good comes from God. But he also works in the believer to generate actual choices of the good so that the desire results in action. The word here that's translated as work, it comes from a Greek, a word energio. It's one that we quite often has the basis actually of the word energy for us. See, God provides the impetus and the direction. The word energio also is characteristically describes work which achieves its purpose. 
It's an outcome that is guaranteed in the deed. It is effective working. It's not about the work itself, the action, the activity, but rather the result. God's working is effectual working. He cannot be deflected from his course or fail to achieve his purpose as he works in our hearts, as he works in our salvation. With our daily catalog of failure and mistakes and our not infrequent despair of ourselves, I think there's an unspeakable comfort that lies in that truth. If we get back to chapter six or chapter one and verse six, Paul writes, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. Come on to our second point. Don't grumble. You're a child of God. Paul makes the point that we should participate in this work of God without grumbling or questioning, even in what may seem like trials or difficulties. I referred to verse 15 last week as we discussed how our unity allows us to shine as lights to a crooked and twisted generation in that world around us. But Paul has quite a subtle double layer to his terminology here. This phrase of crooked and twisted generation. This idea of grumbling and questioning. See that phrase crooked and twisted generation is a reference to the wilderness generation in Israel's history. Deuteronomy 32 and 5, they are described by these very words, a crooked and twisted generation whose spiritual progress was thwarted by grumbling and questioning. And when we talk about shining as lights, there's, there's an imagery here from Daniel 12, 2 to 3. Those who express their faith this way by shining as lights will be raised to eternal life. So this concept of being lights to the world dates right back to Genesis 12 when God establishes his covenant with Abraham. God promises Abraham a son. He promised him a land of their own and he promises to make them into a great nation. Why? God tells Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was the calling of Abraham and the nation of Israel to be a blessing to all nations. It's the calling of us, the Christian church, the body of Christ, to be a blessing to all nations. So what leads us to grumble and questioning? What led the children of Israel to grumbling and questioning in the desert? Well, it was times of difficulty, of trials, of suffering. In the book of James in chapter 1, 1 to 18 is probably one of the best known exhibitions of the theology of suffering. We'll not go into this passage in any depth, but there are a few important things that I just want to touch on that are within it. Though when the scriptures and the biblical history refer to testing our faith, it's not some kind of examination of our faith. It's not a test we need to pass. It's not some kind of circumstance engineered to check if we have enough faith or not. Rather, testing our faith is grounded more in the Psalms, where the word for testing refers to refining or purifying. It's like refining or purifying gold or silver is what the Psalms tells us. And James tells us that there are two possible ways to respond to testing to trials, to difficulties. Firstly, 
we can respond out of our own sinful nature, our evil desires, making a trial an occasion for temptation leading to sin. This is certainly the approach taken by the children of Israel, who quickly forgot their miraculous release from Egyptian captivity and focused solely on themselves, their present discomfort, their lack of food, and so on. And they gave in to sinful desires to complain, to grumble, to question God when they said, did he bring us here to die in the desert? On the other hand, we can respond to trials and testing out of faith with the joy that we are truly blessed by being with God. This response sees in a difficulty or trial an opportunity for testing, for refining, for purifying instead of temptation. And this in turn leads to steadfastness, perseverance, that causes the Christian to become more like Christ, mature, complete. Paul echoes this sentiment. If we can do all things, even the difficulties and trials, without grumbling and questioning, trusting completely in God's every inclination to give good gifts as our Father to us as the children of God, we find our faith refined and purified. And we become, as verse 15 tells us, blameless, innocent, without blemish. Third point this evening, that we should offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God's work in the world. The Philippians' obedience to the word of life is not merely a matter of private concern. Paul says his labor would be in vain if they failed to hold fast until the day of Christ of Christ's return and thus prove not to be true believers. Holding fast means both believing God's word and following it. The phrase used here in verse 16 for holding fast to the word of life can also be understood to holding out the word of life. Holding fast means not just believing God's word, but following it. And Paul refers to his life being a drink offering. Wine poured out in the ground around the altar along with the grain or sacrificial offering as it would have been back in the early days of Israel. And it's a very vivid image of life poured out for God's service. The Philippians too are a sacrificial offering. They are to emulate Paul's joyful service to God. The idea is that God sanctifies us, not just in times of quiet, reflection, study, withdrawal, but as we get actively involved in following him every day, working it out with fear and trembling. It is a journey with its ups and downs, certainly, but it's an ongoing journey of growing in faith. And we should commit ourselves to the journey daily, our lives as an offering. I'm sure we all know Romans 12 and verse 1 very well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Some of you have likely heard it in the translation in the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Neil Hudson of the London Institute of Contemporary Christianity argues that we need to realize that the doing of church 
is not just when we are gathered here together. That we need to recognize that the people of our church are scattered throughout our society today. They're in schools, in shops, in offices, in cafes, in sports clubs, in social circles, all throughout culture. When we come together as gathered church, when the church meets together, we should be getting prepared for being part of scattered church in the places where we work and live. And Paul would say that we are active participants in this learning and preparation. We are to work out our salvation. We have to be prepared by the church, by others, as well as preparing ourselves. As Jesus says, we're not only to be disciples, but we are also to make disciples. As a church, we need to move people from being members to being disciples. For so many, the relationship with church is one where we come and we support the church and in return we're cared for. A pastoral care model of church. We need to change that to being a pastoral equipping model of church where we are a community that loves and equips each other for living our lives in the world, holding fast to, holding out the word of life. You see, church is not where we have a minister and a Kirk session whose job it is to run church and convince all of you to turn up and to help. It's your job to live for God's glory, to be a disciple, And it is the church and your minister's job to equip you for that calling. The Great Commission does not call us or even to make, sorry, the Great Commission does not call us to be or even to make converts. It tells us to make disciples by being disciples, by constantly moving forwards, not hanging to past obedience, but being daily obedient to God's work in our hearts. By responding to the transformational work of God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. By working out our salvation with awe and reverence in the real world. By seeing our faith refined and purified through trials. Not grumbling and questioning. Rejoicing in a God whose every inclination is for our good. And by placing our everyday lives as an offering before God. To be light to the world. To hold out the word of life to a world where God has called us to be. Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, don't let us put you in a box. Impress again on our hearts everything that you are in your majesty, in your holiness, in your glory, in your awesome power, and everything you are in your relentless love and compassion and mercy and grace. Lord God, challenge us to work out our salvation. Work within us to give us the will and work within us as you transform our hearts and as you transform our lives to be more and more Christ-like. Lord God, help us to hold out the word of life 
as we live our lives in all the places that we are, in our homes, in our offices, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our friendship circles, wherever that may be. God, work within us and help us to hold out your word in those places to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord God, we place our lives before you as an offering. We place our lives into your hands as a sacrifice. As a sacrifice to follow you. Lord God, work within our hearts. Work within our hearts for the times that our obedience or our commitment to you wavers. Help us to keep pressing on. To keep pushing on to know you more. To be more like Christ. To share you more. 